Well, good morning, church. Good morning, church. All right. So I was away last week because, uh, well, I was on COVID watch and I was hosting online. And so I hadn't got a chance to hang out with you guys in person, but I'm really glad to get to do that this morning. And so you're some of my favorite people and I haven't had a chance to wish you happy new year, people. Happy new year, church. Glad you guys are here. So um, as we enter into this new year, I'm curious, uh, by a show of hands, um, how many of you have set or made New Year's resolutions? Okay, a handful, leave them up, nice and high. Listen, you guys that didn't make them, no shame in that, okay? But what my question is for those who have their hands up still is, how many of you in these first nine days of the new year have actually kept uh, your resolution for all nine days? If you have not kept your resolution, feel free to put your hand back down. Good job, you guys, right? Again, no shame if you didn't keep your resolution. No shame um, if you didn't make one. You guys can put your hands down. Thank you so much. Um, Just for grins, I Googled top five Christian resolutions for the new year. And Google took me to one of my favorite websites, equippinggodlywomen.com. Okay, it's not one of my favorite websites. I've never been there before. Probably will never go back there again, but that's okay. But this website didn't just take me to a top five Christian New Year's resolutions. It took me to an article uh, listed 20 Christian New Year's resolutions that you will actually want to keep. And I was intrigued, so I went ahead and read through the article, and it was pretty good. It ran the gamut from resolutions about doing acts of kindness, to stopping gossiping, to forgiving grudges, and to spending time volunteering. Did Ben mention last week that several of the ministries here at church could really use some extra volunteers? Yeah, I thought he did. Okay, good. Um, now, in this, this website, this article, there were plenty of good uh, resolution ideas, but I want to kind of key in on one that was at the very top of the list, And it was this, it was to read your Bible for 20 minutes a day, every day. To read your Bible for 20 minutes a day, every day. Now, that was not my uh, personal resolution. In fact, if it were my personal resolution, I could have held my hand up, but then I'd have taken it right back down because I would not have kept it, right? I would have failed already at reading 20 minutes a day, every day. But reading your Bible is a good resolution, and it can be so meaningful and so life-changing if approached correctly. Now, there's no need to show any hands right now, but I wonder, think about it in your own mind, have you ever resolved to read the Bible more, whether it was this year, last year, years and years ago? Maybe your decision was to read through the entire Bible in a year. Maybe your desire was just to, you know, read continually, you know, like a certain, a certain amount of time, a certain number of days a week. Maybe it was just to actually read your Bible, not just showing up at church on a Sunday morning and, you know, watching Bible verses pop up on the big screens. Maybe your decision wasn't even a New Year's resolution, Maybe it's just a choice. You know, I'm going to start reading my Bible. It's a decision, right? And whether you stuck with that decision or whether you failed to stick with that decision, it's a great decision. It's a good choice. And I hope that you will all pursue this idea of reading your Bible. As we get started this morning, let's go ahead and have a word of prayer. Jesus, we thank you so much that we have um, uh, these words bound up in a book, uh, that we have an opportunity Um, to read. Now more than ever, we have uh, your very words uh, at our disposal, um, at our convenience, at our opportune, 
God, help us to take advantage of what we have. Help us to take advantage of what's set before us, of what sits on our desk, what sits on our shelf, what we have in our phones. Your words, God, help us to want them, to love them. It's in your name we pray, amen. So last Sunday, as, as Nick mentioned, Ben kicked off our um, teaching series, which we have entitled, We Are. We Are. And the very title of the series and the direction of the teaching kind of begs us to ask some questions, right? It begs us to answer some questions. What type of people are we supposed to be? Better yet, who does Jesus say that we are to be? Who are we to be as part of his kingdom? Who are we to be as individual believers? And who are we to be as Fork Christian Church? Last week, as we started the series, Ben asked how one would recognize and identify Fork Christian. He asked, what is it that we're known for? And then in his teaching, you know, he went on and, and, and he, he told us that there was a, 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 a requirement for believers, something that the church should be known about, something that we need to participate in and invest in, all of us. And it is the command to love. And what a great way to start off that teaching series to remind us that we are to be a church that loves like Jesus does. And it's my prayer, not just for 2022, but for all times and in all ways, that when people encounter Fort Christian Church or when people encounter people who are a part of the Fork family, when they have interactions with us as individuals or in our corporate gatherings, that they would walk away having experienced the love that God has for them. We certainly want to be known as a church who loves like Jesus does. And I really believe that we are. This morning, though, I want to take you to our next we are in our series, and that is that we are people of the Bible. We are people of the Bible. Now, for some of you that know your Bibles fairly well, let me clarify. There are some pretty unsavory characters that we read about in the Bible. We don't want to be one of them, right? Not that guy, not that gal, right? You see, being people of the Bible in today's context means that if we are following Jesus, if we're seeking to advance his kingdom, if we want FCC to look like and to love like Christ, then we need to be people who desire to learn how to live Christ-like lives from the teachings we find in his word in the Bible. And I hope that we are. I hope that that's who we are. While Ben was talking about this command to, to love each other, in his teaching, Ben kind of made this a kind of a parenthetical statement, right? A, a kind of side note, if you will. But it was a great segue into what we're going to be talking about today. Maybe you missed this last week, but Ben said, we've tended to lean on our knowledge of Scripture and our knowledge of the Lord, which is not a bad thing. But when you look at how some of us live, you know that knowledge isn't everything. There were hundreds of years of Christians who were active in following God when they didn't have a Bible in their own language that they could read from. And then there's us. Not only do we have hundreds of different translations of the book, we have hundreds and hundreds of years of theologians to study from and thousands of commentaries to better inform us. He then summed it up by saying this. He said, Christians today might possibly be the most educated about God and also the least obedient to him. 
Now, in all the other teaching last week, maybe that just kind of like went right over your head, right? Maybe those words didn't cause you to squirm a little bit last week. But this morning, I invite you, if they cause you to squirm, squirm along with me, right? Hearing it again this morning might just make us squirm. Christians today might possibly be the most educated about God and also the least obedient to him. Now, I hope that the good folks here at Fort Christian do not fall into that educated without obedience category. But if we do find ourselves there, and honestly, when we do find ourselves there, we need to recognize that we are to be, that if we are to be the individuals, if we are to be the church that Jesus says we are, this idea of being educated without obedience has to change. It simply has to change. You see, the truth is that we run the risk of, of as a church and as individuals of, of having this Bible, having the, the Holy Scripture, you know, having the good book, and having it so filling the space between our ears that we fail to or forget to actually live out the commands to love, to care, to forgive, to meet needs, to guard our tongues. Now, I appreciate what Ben had to say about the idea that Christians might be more educated about God and, and less obedient. But see, sometimes it's not about being educated without obedience. Sometimes it's about ignorance without obedience. You see, for whatever reason, though we have so many of them at our disposal, we fail to pick up the Bible. We don't look it up. We don't give it a listen. And because we don't know what it says, we run the risk of being of disobedient. We run the risk of being disobedient to what it says because we just don't know. Because we're ignorant of it. Or because we're ignorant of what it actually says, we just kind of believe whatever anybody else tells us, even if they're way off base. Maybe sometimes we just blindly assume that a 30-minute teaching on a Sunday morning or a couple Sunday mornings a month is going to equip us to live and to love just like Jesus. And that's a sad way to think about it because we live in a world that endlessly opposes him. And 30 or 60 or 120 minutes a month isn't gonna be enough. You see, if we're to be people of the Bible, our, our Bibles need to simply cease looking good on a shelf or looking important on our desk or just being another free app on our smartphone. You and I, we need to pick it up. We need to read it. We need to study for ourselves. Not just so we can check a little box, right? Not that we can say, we did it, woo right? You see, simply reading the Bible is not the end result. The end result is changed hearts. It's changed lives. And it's a changed world. See, when we read it and study it for ourselves, the Holy Spirit can help us see that the words that are found in it are not simply a set of rules to live by. It's not simply a history of a nation from which most of us probably didn't descend. And instead, we can see from its very pages the words of God that teach us to live Christ-honoring and Christ-like lives. Most of you know I grew up in church. When you grow up in church, you learn all the little kid church songs and uh, I remember this song from my childhood, uh, and, and it's very simple. It says, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong, they are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me, the Bible tells me so, right? Anybody know that song? 
Some of you guys did good. If you didn't grow up in church, you're probably like, wow, okay, interesting. Now, the song is, you know, very simple and, and fun and everything, but the sad news is that currently there are about 2,000 languages that do not have the entirety of the Bible translated into their, into their language. 2,000 languages that don't have a copy of their Bible. They can't read the Bible to find out that Jesus loves them. But let me take a moment and remind you that as much as I love the Bible and as thankful that I am for it, that Jesus loves me even if I've never read this book. Jesus loves me even if I don't own a copy of it. See, Jesus' love for mankind is not based on a book. This book or this collection of books is based on his love for mankind. And in the same way, as much as I love the Bible, my faith, the foundation of my faith is not in having read cover to cover or understood every single thing about it or even causing me, it isn't even based on whether I agree with absolutely everything that I read in this book. You see, my foundation for my faith is recognizing that my sin separated me from God and that Jesus left his rightful place in heaven to come and live among us, God with us. And he died on the cross, paying the penalty, took the punishment for my sins. And then to prove that he had the power to fulfill all of his promises, to forgive, to give new life, to give eternal life, he rose back up from the grave, right? Raised to life again. You see, Jesus' plan for our salvation is not based on this book. This book is based on his plan to save us. You see, for Hundreds of years, the early church only had bits and pieces of what we call the Bible. There were letters and manuscripts, sometimes just a single page that would get passed around from person to person, from church to church. The oral conversations, people would talk about the scripture back and forth, right? They listened to the apostles. They, 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 the early church, we read that they met for the apostles' teaching where somebody shared um, the truths about Jesus and even without this bound together copy of all these books that we call the Bible, Jesus was still followed. The church still grew. The world was impacted. Now we think about those early believers, those that came in the first few hundred years after Christ, you walked this earth. You know, those who came from, from the nation of Israel, those who were Jews, those who were Hebrews, they had their roots there. See, they had their own scripture for those first few hundred years, they came with their scripture. This called, we call it the Old Testament. But in it was their law, books, really exciting books like Leviticus and, and Numbers and Deuteronomy. And it had the prophets like Daniel and Hosea and Amos. And it had poetry, the Psalms and the Proverbs. And in this Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament, or in the Hebrew Bible, the Jewish Bible, it chronicled the creation of the world, the fall of man, the covenant relationship between God and the nation of Israel. And it contained over 600 laws that mankind showed over and over again they couldn't keep. Yet it pointed away to a more perfect covenant and a need for a savior. And woven throughout the Jewish scripture was this idea that God was continually seeking after his people and that one day a Messiah would come, Jesus would come in the fullness of time to save the people from their sins. But that old covenant, that old testament could not save them. 
And then those first few hundred years, there weren't just those who came from the Jewish faith that came to follow after Jesus. There were those like us, Gentiles, non-Jews. When they came with, well, they didn't come with the prophecies. They didn't come with all the laws. They didn't come with the rules. They might have been familiar with the, the Jewish New Te Old Testament. They might have been familiar with the Jewish Bible. But, you know, uh, that Jewish book was another story of which their characters just simply weren't a part. Right? Unlike the Jews, the Gentiles didn't even have a book that couldn't save them. But see, what both the early Jewish converts to Christianity and the early Gentile converts to Christianity, what those believers had before there was a book called the Bible were these written and oral accounts of Jesus Christ risen from the dead. And when they placed their faith and trust in him, it changed everything. It changed everything. And there wasn't even a Bible yet. Now you might be thinking, well, Virgil, you just made a pretty strong argument on why we shouldn't read our Bibles, right? Why should we be people of the Bible? Well, here's the beauty, right? If the world was changed when there wasn't a scripture, how much more can the world be, be changed when we have the entirety of scripture? Here's a little bit of history. It wasn't until about 400 years after Christ walked the earth that the Bible as we know it was even put together, right? It was about 400 years after Christ that these books were accumulated, put together, uh, and bound together as one, one book. And it was written in the language of the commoner, uh, but it wasn't a commonly available tool, right? It was expensive. It was hard to reproduce. People literally had to write out page after page. I mean, can you imagine writing this all down? So even in the midst of people not having a copy of the scripture for their own, the church still grew. The kingdom still advanced. And it wasn't until about a thousand years later that the Gutenberg Press enabled the Bible to be mass produced on a large scale. And then a hundred years later, it was translated into English. And so then for about 600 years since then, these 66 books bound together in one volume this tidy package that we call the Bible, which means the book, they are becoming more and more and more accessible and available to each of us, available for us to read, available for us to study, but most importantly, available for us to live by. Those first 39 books we call them the Old Testament, or more correctly, the Old Covenant, because it was about the Jewish Bible, the Jewish Scripture, the agreement between God and a nation of Israel. And then the last 27 books in our Scripture are the New Testament, or the New Covenant, right? Which spells out this personal New Covenant because of what Jesus did for us on this cross, this new relationship between God and man. And within the pages of this book, we have the Hebrew scripture, but we also have recorded for us eyewitness accounts of those who walked with Jesus, who detailed his life, his ministry, his miracles, his commands, even his commission to us. It's in what we call the gospels, in Matthew, in Mark, in Luke, and in John. And then the next book, we have the book of Acts, which is the eyewitness accounts of the life of the early church as recorded for us by Luke. And then throughout the rest of our scripture, we have letter after letter and page after page of words were written to individuals and to churches in the form of correction and encouragement 
and teaching so that the early church and consequently us would know how to live and know how to love more like Jesus. And we believe these truths that are bound together in this book are the very words of God and all human wisdom and all human teaching, none of it can stand up to the cumulative wisdom found within these pages. You know, the, even though Jesus' love for mankind is not based on the book, even though his plan to save us is not based on the book, I'm so thankful that for those of us who've experienced his love, who've received his salvation, that we have at our fingertips this collection of wisdom. I love the fact that these writings from various authors across varying times are bound together, that we can read it, that we can understand it, that we can apply it, that we can live it. And that the Christ-centered truths found in these pages can give us direction for our very lives. In 2007, Time Magazine asserted that the Bible has done more to shape literature, history, entertainment, and culture than any book ever written. And that's good. Thank you, Time Magazine, for telling us, right? I mean, it's nice to have something that's important, and we can all possess this important piece of, you know, uh, literature, right? We can possess it. But Owning it or possessing it does not begin to demonstrate its actual value or its actual worth. You see, and as much as I love the Bible and I'm thankful that I can find a Bible in almost any hotel room, that I can find scripture references on, you know, coffee cups and t-shirts and bumper stickers, that there are multiple apps that I can find on my phone. As glad as I am for good, you know, websites like Bible Gateway, I'm glad that we have so many different Bibles and so many different translations that line our shelves. But you and I, we need to recognize that especially for believers, for individuals, and, and for the church, that an unopened, unread, unused Bible, well, it's like an unopened gift. It's like an ignored love letter. It's like having a light which will direct our path at our disposal, yet we never bother to turn it on. You see, if we are to be people, the Bible, we can't just be owners and holders. We've got to become readers and listeners and doers of it as well. And see, then and only then when we do that, will the value and the worth of the words found within these pages be demonstrated to the world. Christians, we need to be people of the Bible. Webster defines a Christian as a person who believes in Jesus Christ and follows his teaching. So if we're gonna follow Jesus, we've gotta follow his teaching. Where do we get his teaching? Well, if we're to be people of the Bible, fortunately, we no longer have to rely on word of mouth, historical accounts of Jesus being shared around the dinner table. Although, I think conversations about Jesus around the dinner table, that's really good. I think you should shoot for that in 2022, right? If we want to know how to follow Jesus in the way that he lived and the way that he loved, we can simply open up the gospels. We can go to the book of Matthew and we can read his words about compassion, 
and about love. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 through 36 says, Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Skip ahead a few chapters. Matthew chapter 22. He says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. Or we can open up the book of Mark, right? And we can see what Jesus had to say to us about living a life of sacrifice. Mark chapter eight, starting in verse 34, says, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you'll save it. Flip over next chapter, Mark chapter nine, starting in verse 35. Whoever wants to be first uh, must take last place and be the servant of everyone else. You see, church, if we are to be the people of the Bible, we no longer have to rely on bits and pieces of information, bits and pieces of church history passed down or talked about, right? In order to find out how the early church functioned and how the good news of Jesus Christ spread both far and wide, we don't have to rely on just getting a scrap here and a scrap there. We don't have to rely on having those conversations, although I would have loved to have been around in the first century just to see how church did things and to hear some of those stories. You see, if we want to know how to be the church that Jesus established, and if we want to know the way that the early believers lived and the early believers loved, we can simply open up the book of Acts. It's right here in the book. And we can read Acts chapter two. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. And a deep sense of awe came over them all. The apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day and met in homes for the Lord's Supper, shared meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Christians, if we're to be people of the Bible, we no longer have to rely on a circulated letter from Paul or James or John or Peter that would give us clarity or remind us of truth that would reshape our thinking or when we need it to get a little bit of correction. See, if we want to learn from the mistakes of others, if we want to recognize that we are not alone in the struggles that we face, if we want to be continually encouraged how to live and how to love one another, we can easily open up the letters. They were written to churches and written to individuals and be reminded of the life that Jesus has called us to live. In writing the church of Ephesus, Paul in Ephesians chapter four, verse two says, always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. And John in his writing in 1 John chapter four, he says, dear friends, let us continue to love one another for love comes from God. 
Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Or we can read the words that James wrote in James chapter 1, starting in verse 19. He says, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. So get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts for it has the power to save your souls. And in the words of Captain America, I could go, I could do this all day. I could just do this all day. Word after word, encouragement after encouragement, pictures and glimpses into the life of Jesus Christ, pictures and glimpses into the life of the church where we can understand how to, to live and to love in a Christ-like way. So you might be asking yourself at this point, so what do I do, Virgil? Yeah, sounds good. I probably need to be, you know, a people of the Bible. How do I do that? I've never been very good at that. Why well, say, first of all, you just gotta start. You have to start. You have to make a decision to do it, right? Do what the early believers did. Learn Jesus. Learn Jesus, right? He's the one that we follow. So read some Matthew, some Mark, some Luke, some John, right? Then go read the book of Acts. Look at the mistakes that the early church made. Look at the good things that the early church did. You need to know where to go after that? Let's have a conversation. You tell me what you learned from Matthew and Mark and Luke and John. You tell me what you learned from the book of Acts and we'll take you to the next journey, right? We'll talk about what's next. Next thing I wanna encourage you to do is besides just doing it, Besides learning Jesus is get a Bible that you understand, right? You can't follow what you can't comprehend, right? We use the New Living Translation here at, at Fork. Um, you're welcome if you don't own a Bible that you can read. Back in the back, it's back there, cool little picture, right? There's Bibles back there. Grab one, take it home, put your name in it. It's yours, we want you to have one, right? Make sure you have a Bible that you can read. Or if you've got a smartphone, well, there's plenty of apps that you can look at. One of them, many of you have this right here on your phone. You may not know it yet. Grown-ups, ask your kids to find the Bible app on your phone. They'll show you where it is and show you how to use it, okay? That's what we gotta do, right? It's there. Okay, next thing I encourage you to do, if you wanna be people of the Bible, is get yourself some people. Get yourself some people. Get a family member, get a friend. Read the same book together and talk about it. Join a small group. All of our small groups study the scripture. Sometimes it's one of the 66 books. Sometimes we're just looking back at the Bible verses and the conversation about the previous week's teaching. But join a group, get together with some people, study together. And then I want you to pray about it. I want you to pray about it. Don't ask God, God, should I study your word? Listen, the answer is yes. I just skipped you to the head of the line, right? The answer is yes. He wants you to study his word. Don't ask God, should I read it? Ask him for wisdom. Ask him for clarity as you are reading it. Ask him to help you become more like Jesus because of what you read. Some people have told me, in fact, I've had a couple of conversations the past couple of weeks. People say, I just get distracted so easily. I get so distracted when I try to read my Bible. So set aside some space. Set aside some space in your house where that's going to be your spot 
to go read. Set aside some space in your day where this is going to be my time to go read. Set aside some space in your head where you know that's all you're going to be thinking about. That's all you're going to be dwelling on is what you're reading in the scripture, right? If you can't, if you can't just like read through it, follow along as an audio Bible reads it out loud to you, for you, right? Listen to it read out loud. Follow along in your scripture. And don't just, don't just do it on your phone. I mean, you can, but if you can have a real Bible and a Sharpie or a highlighter and a pen, make some notes, write in the margin, right? No sin against writing in your Bible. Circle stuff, draw arrows, highlight it, whatever you gotta do, right? So you remember those teachings, right? Grab a journal, pieces of paper, write down your thoughts. I used to, just, I, I repelled, I, I recoiled at the idea of journaling while I read my Bible until I started doing it. It's the best thing ever for my Bible time, right? I write down my thoughts. I write down my questions. I write down my prayers. Sometimes I write big question marks like, what the heck, God? What are you talking about in this part, right? But it helps me to focus on what I'm reading. Keeps me from getting distracted. And lastly, don't rely on your pastor's voice. Don't simply rely on your pastor's voice. You've got the book. Read it. Read the book. Friends, if we're to be the individuals, if we're to be the kingdom, if we're to be the local church that Jesus calls us to be and who he says that we are, we need to be people of the Bible. Let's pray. So Jesus, thank you that we have these words for us. Um, that that's spelled out for us, that we have these books joined together, uh, accumulation, accumulation of, of, of history leading up to you, of your life, Jesus, of your story, uh, of your church, and then all the struggles and realities of being part of the church. Thank you that's all right here at our, at our, at our disposal for us to, to read, to absorb, to learn from, to live by. Jesus, we thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.